Well, hey, we are in our final week of our series called One Story, and in this series, we are just diving into how the Bible or how the story of reality that God is writing all fits together um, truly as one story that he's writing that all culminates in the person and work of Jesus. And we're doing this because if we don't seek to understand God's story, if we don't seek to understand what God is doing and align ourselves with what God is doing, then we will whether knowingly or unknowingly, fall in line with the stories or a story that the culture or your flesh or the enemy wants you to fall into. And so we are familiarizing ourselves with God's story so that we can align ourselves with this story so that we can experience true life, full life. And we are in our final week of that. I know it's super sad, um, but I'm excited to um, bring you the series finale, <laughs> um, God's series finale um, of his story. He, he spoils the story for us. He gives us the, the how it ends. He tells us how it ends, and I think that's exciting. Um, I love the movie Endgame um, for Marvel, but it's even better to watch it again, I think, because I know that it's going to end well. I know that it's going to end triumphant and that the world is going to be restored to, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but essentially like half the world is wiped out. I think half. Um, my Marvel people can check me on that. Half the world is wiped out and then it's restored to all people. And I think that watching it over is better to know because I'm not stressed. I know what's going to happen at the end. Um, and that is the good news that Jesus gives us, that God gives us in his word. We get to see how the story ends. He tells us about his return, about his restoration of all things. And that's what we're diving in today. So we've looked at creation, about how God created things all good and perfect and how he intended them and made us in his image and gave us vocation and he sustains all life. And then uh, we looked at the fall, um, antediluvian, and saw just how Jesus or how people turned against God. Um, antediluvian, sorry, that's a word I learned this week um, about it means before the flood. Um, <laughs> I had to get that in there and make myself sound kind of smart. Um, <laughs> So in the fall, we saw that humans chose to make their own path. They chose that they didn't want God to sustain their life. They wanted to decide for themselves what good and evil were and decide for themselves how this world ought to be run. And that ushered in the fall. That ushered in death and sin and, and the, bad, the, the, the bad things that we know the world to be. That's where it started. That's how it was ushered in. And then we looked at Israel through the eyes of Abraham when Derek came and he showed us that even though humans turned away, God still had a plan to restore and redeem his people through the people of Israel and through Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. And then we looked at Jesus and saw that how he, how he fulfilled that covenant, how he truly came, how God said that there, he will deliver a savior, deliver a true king, deliver someone to die on behalf of his people so that he can be, in, be restored to a relationship with him, that Jesus came and actually did that. And then last week, we looked at how or where we are now. We looked at how we are to apply the gospel to our lives. We looked at how we are to be participating in the building of the kingdom. We looked at how we are in the now and the not yet. And what I mean about that, what I mean by that is we are in this time where we experience God's blessing. We experience his grace. We can see his beauty and his glory all around us. If we look at people and nature and, and how he still commissions us to participate in his work, but we can also see and experience death. And we see and experience sin, we see and experience brokenness, and we get offended, and we offend people, we get hurt, and we hurt people. We're still in this, we're in this now and not yet phase of God's story. Now, if we just stopped here, if we just stopped in this phase, then I think the gospel story would be look like a story that was 
settle, settling for lower expectations. God, the gospel is not about lowering our expectations. It's not that God created good and we ruined it, and it's just going to be this ruined thing forever now, it's, and that we kind of get to experience some good stuff. But there's a greater hope than just a little more joy here and now. A greater thing to look towards, a greater thing that God wants us to see in Revelation that we have hope in, that we, can, that we will someday have victory, that he will have victory and release and permanent peace over the sin and the, and the death and the brokenness that exist right now. And so that is what we're looking at today. This is, a, a, uh, Revelation is a, is, was given to John for clarity of vision of what is to come, of the hope that we have, of the victory of God. And, and notice I said what is to come, not when it is to come. It is to give hope to endure and get to give us purpose for the journey that we're on. Now, if you came today to see charts and me talk about tribulation and that kind of stuff, I'm not going to talk about it. We're talking about how the, the hope that God gives us today in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the victory that he is going to have over this world. If you want to talk about all this other stuff in Revelation, um, you can buy me lunch and we can go talk about it. Notice I said you could buy me lunch for that because that's, that'll be a long conversation. And you'll probably know more than me. So <laughs> um, that would be fun, uh, but I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> uh, we're looking at God's victory today, um, and I'm excited about that. So I want you to think of this journey, the, the, our faith journey, as a family road trip. Just be there with me, okay? So we're all going to Fiji, okay? We have to get in the car and go get gas and then go to Park DIA and then get on the shuttle, you know, go through all the traffic before Park DIA, get on Park DIA, get on the shuttle. Hopefully we can all fit together and, and the driver isn't too crazy. And then we get to the airport, check our bags in, get on the plane, Enjoy this super long plane ride, hopefully enjoy it, or deal with the crying baby that's next to you for however long that flight is, and then we get to Fiji. Um, so we're on this path, we get to see, we're on this path of life where we get, have these stops on the way to eternity. We have these, these challenges that God, that God puts in front of us. We have these um, life things that we have to deal with that God puts in front of us. We're on this journey, we're on this destination. Um, we're on this road trip in life. And there's a couple things that we get wrong when we look at our life in the span of this journey, in the span of this vacation destination. First is some people look at it as the destination doesn't matter. It's all about the journey, you know. Just embrace the journey. It's all about what's going on right now, right in front of my face. It's all about what's going on in this lifetime. And the other side of it is, the other way around is, are, it's just, are we there yet? Can we just get there? Can we just get through all this crud and get, you know, just someone load the gas before and I'm going to take a sleeping pill and you just get me to the destination um, before, before I have to deal with everything. This metaphor obviously breaks down, but if we lean too heavily into both of those, into either of those things, then we get this faith life um, wrong and we can't truly live into the, the story that God wants us to live into um, as the good news of the gospel would dictate. So metaphors obviously break down, so don't take that too far, um, because it's, not, it's really not about us arriving. It's really more about the arrival and return of Jesus. That's what more about what God's victory is going to tell us about. So today we're going to look at the last couple chapters of Revelation. We're going to see three truths, two realities, and one picture of God's victory in the end times. And so I'm going to turn to Revelation 19, 
Oh, three truths, two realities, one picture, if you want to write it down. Three, two, one. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe to dip him, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, before we see the experience of joys of new creation that we will see later, we have this crazy image of Jesus's return, this wild image. We have um, in, in the three truths that we see, the first one is that Jesus comes in glory. The, way, the three truths about Jesus' return is that he comes in glory. I think too often we have such a domesticated view of who Jesus is. And, and John, the vision that, that Jesus gave John here is a more glorious view of how he is going to come. Now, this humble view is not a bad view. It's how Jesus came as a humble person in his first coming. It's how we understand him. It's how the world got to experience him was as someone just like us. He looked like us. He walked like us. He talked like us, except he did it all better than us because he was fully God and fully human. But, but I think that we too often press way too much into and, and forget that Jesus is this glorious, crazy being. We, we let pictures like these, like memes like these, get too caught up in our brains, you know, He's just this guy that's like peeking in on us every now and again. Or if you're a gym rat, this is your view of Jesus. Or if you are a lover of hockey, we are the hockey capital of the U.S. So maybe this is, maybe this is your um, view of, of Jesus, this is your domesticated view. But oft, too often we have this view of Jesus as, as just this person that walks among us. and talk, He walks with me and he talks with me. You guys know that song? Good song. We should add that to the list. Um, but we have too domesticated a view of Jesus too often. And what we see here is this glorious, awesome, crazy picture of our king coming on a white horse and with an army with him and with a sword coming out of his mouth and flames in his eyes. And so we need to understand the fullness and see the fullness of his glory to see just how much he had to humble himself, but to see and expect what we are, where, how he is going to come. He's not going to come as this regular dude walking down the aisles, you know, like he did last time. He's going to come as our king. He's going to come as this glorious picture of who he really is, the king of this world. And so my, for the first truth here is just that we don't domesticate Jesus too much, is that we understand that he is going to be coming in full glory. And it's, going to, it's kind of scary, really cool. If you ask me, he's, got, he's even got a tattoo on his knee. Some denominations would really get mad at me for saying that it's a tattoo, um, but it's a word on his knee. How I understand that is a tattoo. Uh, <laughs> um, but Jesus comes in full glory, and we need to understand and expect that that is how Jesus is going to come. He's not going to come as this weak dude. He's going to come as this glorious king. So the first truth is he comes in glory. And the next, and, and this kind of goes along, so we try to soften and domesticate him, he comes in full glory because he's coming in judgment. That what we see in that scripture, in that section, is that at his, at his, so at his first coming, God poured out his judgment on Jesus on the cross, and that's the good news of why this is not bad news for us. Is because because God shed his wrath on Jesus because the wrath was on him. We don't have to experience that wrath. But at this coming, 
this glorious, perfect God, when he comes in again to usher in the new heaven and new earth to bring in perfection, to bring in that which is beautiful again, all that is only good and, and, and only righteous, that means he is also eradicating that which is not. He is coming to judge and get rid of that or, and restore that which is not of God, that which is not glorious, that which is not of God. And so I think that I can feel the tension. I can feel that we, we, we're looking at judgment and, and it's intimidating to think that Jesus is coming to judge and we can get nervous and we can get scared. And, I, and you know, I think that that's partially because we think in human terms, like if I'm being judged by somebody, it's on their terms. I'm being judged based on who they are and who they perceive me to be and, and what I, where I don't line up with them. Um, that's not how this is. That's not, that's not what God's judgment is. God's judgment, um, he, it says that he's faithful and true. It says that, and if we understand, like we're trying to do with this, uh, with this series of one, so if we understand God in the context of who he truly is, we see that God is a really good God. God is a really loving God, that he is out for the best, of, for, the best for his world, and that he wants, that he is loving and gracious and merciful and it says that he, in that scripture, that he is coming faithful and true so that we can trust that he is going to judge rightly. He's going to judge based on what he said. He's going to be faithful to what he's already done and what he will already do. And so we think of God in this context, instead of how we think about other people judging us, it moves attention from, is God going to judge me rightly based on him, or based on us? Are we going to be found righteous? And this should still lead to some tension. Should, I mean, if you feel tension still, you should be feeling tension still. He's going to judge. He's going to wage war against that which is unrighteous, untrue, and not good. It is God's goodness. It is intense goodness that leads to his intense judgment. But he is true and faithful to what he said. And so hold on to that. Hold on to that tension. I'm not going to relieve it yet because he is going to come and judge all that is unrighteous, untrue, and unfaithful. The next Third, uh, the third truth about Jesus' return is that he's coming to rule. He says the nations are going to be struck with the sword and ruled with a rod of iron. There will be one kingdom under God. Not, and he's not coming to judge certain countries. He said he's coming to judge all the nations. He's coming to judge the nations. So, you know, there's no God's country here. You're going to hear a lot, a lot of that this week. Um, there's no God's country. There's no picking favorites with this here. That's that. that that was taken away when Jesus died on the cross and, and made a way for all people to be God's people. So America will be judged. China will be judged. Russia will be judged. Australia, the UK, everyone, every nation will be judged and brought under his rule and his reign. God's victory over the nations is necessary for the kingdom of God to flourish. He doesn't, he doesn't share a throne. God won't share his kingdom. God won't share rule with any other kingdom. It's his kingdom, his one kingdom. So his victory is necessary. It's essential for the flourishing of his victory, of his kingdom. The something that we can take peace in is that this battle comes later. This is God's victory. This isn't, this isn't our job. This isn't a battle for us now. We can rest knowing that when God returns, he is going to be the one victorious over all nations, however we see which one's corrupt and which not. They're all corrupt. Jesus wins. It's God's army, as we see here, dressed in white, not America dressed in camo that's going to win the world for God. It's God's victory. 
And so don't hear me wrong. I say that we could take rest knowing that God is going to be the victorious one. This doesn't mean check out. This doesn't mean we saw what we we're supposed to do last week. We're supposed to be representing Jesus and, and going for rest and working for restoration right now in the, in the lives that we live so that we can point towards the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we can hope, point towards the beauty and the glory of who God is. But the ultimate victory, the ultimate battle is won by God. We need to remember that justice is coming and that it is good and just, that God is faithful and true to what he said. We will all face judgment, and the standard is Jesus. And if you are in Christ, this is good news. Alistair Begg, one of my favorite theologian pastors, he said, if you were to die tonight and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, or if I answer that in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believe, because I was a good person, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing The only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he died for me, because he counts me righteous, because he took on your judgment, God. That's why I am here. And so we can look at this scary picture of Jesus coming as glorious and in judgment and to rule and be excited because we get to stand with the faithful and true God because of what he did for us. And so this is good news. So the good news isn't isn't that we're going to stand in judgment and be righteous on our own terms. We're righteous because of Jesus' terms, because of his imputed righteousness to us. Jesus returns in judgment. We see here, he returns in in glory and judgment and to rule. And then we're moving on to our two realities of restoration. He returns to restore. Read with me in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. So two realities of restoration that I want us to see here. And the first is permanent peace. It's no longer wartime. If we were to read from where we were at in 19 until here, we would see the the war being fought and won by Jesus. Bless you. And we see here that that it's over. The war is done. There's permanent peace, not just temporary. Like we finish, like we look in history, we finish a war and then a couple years later, another war starts. Or even just in your life, you pay off your credit card and then you get in a car wreck or you you finally have an impasse with your kid and then the next kid goes and cusses you out or something like that. Like we never really have permanent peace or release in this life, but this is what that is, is permanent. It's not gonna go away. It's the image of new and it's gonna stay new and it's gonna stay good and stay true. It will stay peaceful. It's incorruptible, it will not decay. All things of this earth are passing away. Like what we experience here is temporary. Like I said earlier, it doesn't mean we stop working for flourishing now, stop working to point the world toward Jesus now and, and, you know, 
participate in Jesus' building of his kingdom now. But if we get so focused on this temporary piece that we can try and get here, if, whether it's getting a big enough retirement account or, or not having any credit card debt, you shouldn't have credit card debt. I'm not saying that just be okay with credit card debt. Fight out of that. Um, but if we, if we just keep, keep going for the next temporary piece that this world will provide for us now, we're, I mean, we're in the wrong story. We're not convinced of the right hope that we are supposed to have. Our hope is, is permanent. Our hope is a true release and peace from that which is broken and dead in this world. All death and brokenness taken away for real. He said, it says that he will wipe away every tear. We'll go back to that. Uh, the other one. <laughs> he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. All of it is passing away. God has victory over it. We can rest. You know, I, I hope that you can truly find freedom from your hurts now, and Jesus provides that now. But we can look towards to the full release of God, the full release and the full salvation of what God wants for you to experience in the future. We can look forward that someday that will be lifted away from you. The burden will be lifted away from you. If you're struggling with sickness, if you're struggling with financial burden, if you're struggling in, if you have family struggles, if not in this lifetime, if not before you, before you, Jesus comes back, when he comes back, it's all done. It's all, and, and not just like dead, it's restored. It's made good. He said the sea is no more, and I feel like I have to mention that. He's not talking about like we're going to go, the new heaven and new earth is in New Mexico, like Albuquerque. Um, sorry if you're from Albuquerque and love Albuquerque. I don't like Albuquerque. It feels barren and gross. <laughs> Maybe I'm supposed to go work. Now God's going to be like, ah, oh, you got to go work in Albuquerque now. <laughs> uh, but he's talking about the eradication of darkness and unknown and chaos. If, if, we re if you read the Bible as one story, um, TM, we will see that in, even in, in the beginning, the ocean represents chaos. And in, in the people of Israel, the ocean stood between them and freedom, and then God parted the seas. Or with Jesus, we see like when him and the disciples are on, on the sea, out of nowhere, it can just change, and we have no control over it. And even just now, think of how scary the ocean is. It's like, I don't remember the, I should have looked up the real number, but we, had, we don't know that much about the ocean still. Like, have you seen what's in the ocean? No. That's why it's scary. We haven't seen everything that's in the ocean. And we saw what just happened with that submarine debacle. Crazy. The ocean is scary. And what, he's, and what John is talking about, he's talking to people that understand the ocean as this chaotic, unknown, dark force that, that they have to deal with. And that is no more. So, if your version, well, I'm not going to say that. There'll probably be something that is as good as seafood in heaven. <laughs> um, so it's permanent. Our peace is permanent. The next reality of the kingdom is it will be a city. The reality of restoration is it will be a city. He said a new heaven and a new earth, and God and humanity will dwell together again. And I think that we need to hear, again, like we have, we've had to do so many different things in this passage, reframe what we think about as a city. Uh, I, when I was growing up in this little podunk town in Kansas, I thought that the city was going to be the place to be. Like I was like, I can't wait to move to L.A. or Denver uh, and experience this cool hustle and bustle, and there's a bunch of people, and it's pretty buildings everywhere. And then I got to the city, and there's McDonald's bags flying down the street, and it's loud, and people are yelling at you for no reason, and there's 
and you see a lot of brokenness, like you see a lot of really sad things when you walk around in the city. This is not the, the picture of a city as God would have it, as God's kingdom, as the city that he is creating in new creation. It's not a, I feel like cities now are, are so like, like, come be yourself in this big place. Come be your individual self. Like, come be this, you're around a lot of people, but you're, you're you in this city. This is not that. This is God and humanity living together in perfect community together. It's not about you it's about God's kingdom. It's about God's people, and it's perfect, and it's provided by God. God made it there. It said that it's like a bride being prepared for her groom. All you people that are married or that have been to a wedding know this, that like it's a big, it's a big deal to be prepared as a bride for your wedding. I get teary-eyed when I think of our wedding, like, and just seeing Olivia on our, on our wedding day, it's, it's that. Okay, whoops. Don't talk about Olivia. Uh, she was hot. And God is making this city, preparing this city to be this beautiful, amazing thing of, for his people and him to dwell together again. So that is the reality, that it's a permanent peace and a, a beautiful city prepared and made by God for the flourishing of uh, relationships and his kingdom. Right. So those are two realities. The next, we're just down to one picture, and we're going to look at Revelation 22. All right. Then he showed me the river, the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever this picture of what God's city will look like. It's not the garden, but it's the garden of Eden restored. It's, it's God's people. It's, God, it's God's perfect relationship with his people restored, and he builds it. He prepares it, like we said earlier. We will be entirely dependent on him. It says the renewing water of life that will flow down the main street, so where everyone will have access to it, where everyone will be able to, to have it. It flows from the throne of God. God is providing life for everyone. We'll be entirely dependent on him, constantly renewed and replenished. It talks about the tree of life. If you remember in creation, when we saw that there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were blocked off from the tree of life, and here it is. God restores it. God gives us access to it again. And it says, and it bears producing its fruit every month. This is a picture of constantly being renewed and replenished in the joy of God. Like we go through seasons right now where we really, like, I'm always looking forward to the next season. It's always too hot, too cold. Uh, I'm wearing too many clothes or I'm not wearing enough clothes. It's always how it is. I'm always looking forward to the next season. But God's joy, God's, um, providence and protection and providing for us will never get old. You know, like I get excited for, for uh, pumpkin spice, but by the time Christmas is here, I'm over it, but I'm really ready for it now. 
God will never get old. We will always, he, his, his tree of life will always produce fruit in its season. We will always be satisfied in God. It's not boring. The tree has new fruit every month. Life in God is a constant renewal of joy in him. He says that he heals the nations. He heals all the nations are healed and brought in. It's a picture of all people. It's a picture of all colors and tongues and tribes and nations and ethnicities and uh, walks of life. Everybody will be healed by God, all who turn to him. And then it says we will see his face. We will get to be in the presence of his glory. Uh, in the Old Testament, when Moses would get the law from God, God would say, you can't see me face to face because it will destroy you. My glory will destroy you. And now that we are in this chapter, released from sin and released from death, we can see him face to face. This is the ultimate realization of new creation. It's to be able to see God's glory face to face. It's not about the stuff. It's about God himself. I think when I first gave my life to Christ, it was because I was scared to go to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. And that should, that should propel us to want to turn to God is, is eternity in hell. But I just wanted the good stuff. You know, I, I went to this, I think I've told the story on stage before, but I went to this interactive play where they showed you like the difference between heaven and hell. Like you walk into this hot room and people are screaming at you and shaking a fence in front of you and yelling at you and the devil's there and, and people are screaming and it's scary. And they bring you into a room that it's supposed to depict heaven. And I was like, this smells nicer. It's air conditioned. Uh, they put they put a white robe on me. Like when I first became a Christian, because I wanted to go to heaven. I was like, this if this is real, then I'd rather have this. But the ultimate realization that we can come that we get to come to is that the best thing about new creation isn't about God's stuff, about God Himself. That we get to be face to face and in relationship with Him, fully unencumbered, not held back by any of the sin in our life, any distractions in our life, any death that we experience or see. We get to be fully in His presence and with Him. That's the good news. So that is the picture of God's new creation. I'm going to read just the last two sentences from the end of, very end of the Bible. We read the first sentences. Naturally, the end of the series, we read the last sentences. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. He's coming soon. What does soon mean? soon. Could be now, or it could be a week from now, it could be a month from now, it could be a thousand years from now. He's coming soon, and we ought to live as though Christ is coming soon, because that's what he said. The letters are read. Yes, I am coming soon. And he brings us back to the chapter that we're in. We don't read this, and then, and then like, we said, like I said at the beginning, become this people that's like, are we there yet? Like, obviously, it's a beautiful picture, and I'm, I'm excited for this, I'm excited to experience this joy and, and be able to be face-to-face with, job, with God, but this is not where we're at right now. And it brings us back to where we are right now. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. God is with us now, working to save you, working to sanctify you, working to save this world, and we are to participate with him in that still. C.S. Lewis said, if I find myself a desire no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I know you, I know I, I know everyone in this world experiences wanting something so bad. I wanted a job so bad. I wanted this car so bad. I wanted to be married so bad. I wanted X, Y, Z so bad. And then it's good, but it doesn't fully fulfill. This is what he's talking about. 
don't be surprised when you're not fully content now because you're not made to be. We are made to find full life as, as much as we can in God right now, but you're not made to be fully complete right now. And so don't be surprised if you're not fully content. Enjoy the journey, enjoy Jesus now, but have hope and look forward to the future that we have, the victory that God is going to win over the nations, over death, over sin. There will be a release and death will be no more. Crying will be no more. Mondays will be no more. Spiders will be no more, at least fear of them. Maybe they're supposed to be good. But all these bad things will be no more because we have this hope to look forward to in Jesus' victory when he comes on the white horse. Every Sunday we celebrate communion. And um, if you didn't get one, there are communion cups at the front. If you're a believer, I welcome you to participate with us. But this is what we do. We participate in the coming of the kingdom when we remember and celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus as we take communion. So take the bread and remember his body broken for you. Drink the juice and remember his blood spilled out for you so that we can have full life, so that we can experience him now and be a part of the victory that happens in the end. And really, guys, it's not the end of the story. It isn't really the end, but it's the beginning of a better forever. When God comes and restores his new kingdom, he will reign forever and there'll be fullness forever. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us hope and showing us where or showing us how you are going to come and what we have to look forward to. Um, and God, I pray that we can use that hope to propel us to live life for you now, um, to be a people to participate um, in your building of your kingdom now, and a people to point towards your ultimate victory that will come when the time is right, when you come, God, when you decide the time is right. God, we love you. And... Um, just be with my friends this week. Remind them of the hope that they have in Jesus, the hope that they have in you, um, and the victory that you have won and are currently winning, God. In Jesus' name we pray.